Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me, at Jim Kramer. Right, why the heck is Wall Street so optimistic that we can reopen the country without serious health consequences? Where's the confidence come from? I mean, haven't, let's see, we adopted a universal testing yet? I don't think so. We don't have contact tracing. We don't have enough gloves and masks to keep everybody protected. Lucky me. Yet the market's having an incredibly strong month. Even with today's mild dip, Dow slipping 32 points, S&P edging 0.52%, Nasdaq declining 1.4%. They, they, they crush Fang. Okay, let's just put it right out there. Are we whistling past the stock graveyard here? Not so fast. See, a big part of this is that there's a ton of confidence in the safety net, the one that covers large companies, even as it fails necessarily to protect a lot of small businesses and doesn't do nearly enough for individuals. Remember, we don't trade hair salons here. There's no uh, ticker for a diner. There's no uh, barbershop group here. uh, Gyms, no. Uh, We trade big companies, companies that that have more access to funding than I've ever seen in my life, courtesy of the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department, who know that the stakes are high. But you also got a lot of hope driving this market. Some of these hopes make more sense than others. First, there's the push to reopen the economy. All right, now, the states are in a real bind right now. Ideally, the federal government would just pay people to stay home, but that's not going to happen. And without more checks from the feds, people need to be able to go back to work. You can't force people to stay home for months and still expect them to cover the cost of rent and food, electricity. Food on the table is not right. You've got to let them have a chance. And that's why there's this imperative to reopen as more and more hospital systems get a better handle on the pandemic. And in many cases, have lots of empty beds, even in the ICUs. Hopefully people will be careful. Hopefully they'll have masks, they'll wear them. Hopefully OSHA will enforce, enforce workplace safety, both for the, for the workers, but also the customers. But don't hold your breath on that one. I believe many of the governors who want to reopen Think of it as more of an at-risk quarantine. See, if you know you're in a high-risk category or you're just worried about your health in general, diabetes, asthma, hypertension, you can keep staying home until we have a vaccine, as long as you can afford it. But the states can't do anything about that last part. They don't have any money. Again, it's a tough choice, but I think it's justifiable as long as there's enough testing to catch people who may be asymptomatic spreaders particularly super spreaders, without that testing camp capacity, I fear that many at-risk people will venture out and get sick, overwhelming the healthcare system again, like it was in New York. We're finally ramping up testing, although not fast enough, but eventually we either reopen the economy or we have a second Great Depression. And that's just not right. 
That's why you can have a rally in the travel and leisure stocks today or some of the better on shopping malls like the one I told you about, Simon Properties. It's why people will keep buying the stocks of Lowe's and Home Depot and should. It's why Amazon keeps pulling back because consumers are desperate to do some real shopping. That'll keep going down till it reports, maybe even after that, because people right now want the worst because the worst is open. Of course, not everything can reopen. For example, today I asked Gary Kelly, the CEO of Southwest Air, why more people aren't flying. People ultimately, uh, if they're going to travel, they need to, they need to have something to be able to do when they get there. So Disney World needs to open back up. Restaurants need to open back up. So you have those kinds of things. He is so smart, straight. But some people he just really like. I mean, I know it's not about friends. Kelly tells it the way it is. As we lift the lockdowns, maybe some people start flying again. So the airlines are all, uh, the stocks are running. And judging by the uh, performance of the stocks today, there must be plenty of people ready to go back to pre-COVID pastimes, healthy or not, if they would just open up. Second, it, it looks like some governors and possibly even our mercurial president genuinely believe this outbreak, outbreak is about to run its course. Remember, we had a charter say that last week. Now, I think it's too optimistic. You could argue that what happened uh, with the Spanish flu in 1919, uh, well, it just ended, right? That was good, right? It just ended. But there were three distinct waves of the Spanish flu before that. It looked like it was getting better, then it came back, then it got better, then it got worse. I mean, come on. Eventually, we developed what's known as herd immunity, although it took roughly a year and a half to do that. I hope I'm wrong, but I think it's too soon to bet this thing will just end on its own. But I understand that. That's just pure naked optimism, and Americans are optimistic people. Third, once again, interest rates are so low that stocks with decent, safe dividends have become incredibly attractive. This morning, 3M reported a far from perfect quarter, but there's no question the company can maintain its bountiful payout. Currently yields 3.73. Same goes for IBM, which actually raised its quarterly dividend by a penny per share, a real sign of confidence. That's why I pounded the table and IBM pulled back to 116 last week. It's now 126. You need any income? Well, go ahead. IBM. Glorious, 5%. Fourth, between the Fed and the Treasury, our government is moving heaven and earth to get struggling enterprises back on their feet. We know this because the Fed backstop Carnival. Don't mean to continue to pick up on Carnival, but it's pretty visible, right? On its recent bond offering, at least according to the Wall Street Journal, talk about a non-essential service. Yet the cruise lines say they're getting heavily booked for next year. We're forgiving people. The stocks indicate that they're right. Meanwhile, Treasury's still writing checks and bouncing the big companies that got some of the money meant for small business. Thank you, Secretary Mnuchin, for doing that. You know I was upset about this. Fifth, the vaccine may be, well, we get it sooner than expected. Look at this. Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, Innovio. I know that's a short squeeze. Someone got some people hate that one. Uh, Regeneron, uh, GlaxoSmithKline with Sanofi. These, these are all trying to beat this thing. That's a lot of good companies. If in the interim we can get antivirals that keep us alive and get us out of the hospital quicker with fewer deaths, well, then that's certainly enough to justify reopening America for business. Long term, though, we do need a vaccine. That could take a year or even two years because vaccines require extensive testing. Remember, you're testing healthy people. You're giving them something that's unhealthy. A year is lightning fast. It took 15 years for polio, uh, maybe two or three, five years for Ebola. Uh, this could take two or three because everyone's working so hard. I wish we had the government coordinating Manhattan Project to treat COVID-19 rather than all these disparate entities trying to do it on their own. But it is what it is. Finally, at some point, you have to reopen because people won't be able to take the pain. For now, the lockdown is surprisingly OK with the people. And they get it. But as more and more people run out of money, 
It's going to get harder and harder to maintain. Ideally, Congress would bail out individuals as aggressively as rebellion institutions. But again, it is what it is. We don't want people to lose their entire life savings. They'll cash out all their stocks and we need their kids to go back to school. So I, I have some reservations. Other countries have been able to reopen their economies because they have universal and frequent testing. We're doing better on that testing front, but we're still nowhere near where we need to be. Other countries are doing rigorous contact tracing. That seems still born here in America. Even as companies like Apple and Google have a fantastic plan. And look, America has a strain of rugged individualism that is, in this particular case, counterproductive in a public health crisis. Too many of us, they don't want to wear masks, particularly men. Look at this. This is Vice President Pence. He's the head of the coronavirus task force. He's refusing to wear a mask even when he's in the COVID ward at the Mayo Clinic. I'm calling that ill-advised. Yes, masks may not do much to protect you from COVID-19, but that's not really the point. They prevent you from infecting other people because you can still spread this virus when you have no symptoms. The responsible thing is to wear that darn mask going outside. It doesn't eliminate the risk. And I look at Twitter. People's got a million complaints about it. Shut up. It reduces it dramatically. I hate it. You hate it. Beats dying. I figured that out on my own. Perhaps most important, even if we can reopen smoothly, the need for physical distancing will wipe out all sorts of businesses. No one's talking about it, but come on. Restaurants have to pull half their tables. There's no way to do that profitably once the money for the payroll protection program runs out. Movie theaters, stadiums, concert venues, large crowds are now public hazards. So the business depends on crowds are in big trouble. Lockdown or no lockdown. NFL, I think it plays in front of an empty stadium with Abbott Labs testing of every player quarantined until they come out of the tunnel to play against their other team. It's a TV game now. Bottom line. Man, I'm trying to be an optimist, but I'm a realist. The stocks that are running this week are cooped up stocks. This is what I'm calling, not Koopa systems, cooped up stocks. And they'll do better when we reopen, so they're going to continue to run. Doesn't mean business will be good, but ask yourself this. Will Simon Properties make more money or less money when it reopens 49 malls that have been closed on May 1st? Exactly. Marvin in Florida. Marvin. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I hope all is well with you. Well, you know, knock wood it is. Yeah, same here, especially in Florida. Um, You know, my question today concerns uh, DraftKings, DKNG, which Mm -hmm. went public last week. It seems to meet many of the criteria that you've said a stock should have to weather this COVID crisis. You know, it's a great stay-at-home stock for sure. Um, their expansion into online casino gambling and sports betting provides a safe alternative to the risk of uh, visiting a crowded casino. And uh, their mainstay has always been daily fantasy sports. Um, to keep this customer base active until live sports resume, they've been offering free entry fantasy contests with cash prizes on a daily basis. Right, right. I mean, look, I, I mean, it's got a bit of a short squeeze. You know what? It's just not seasoned enough for me. I mean, look, could the thing double and people say, why did you keep me out of the double? Yeah, sure. I'd like to see a little more financial, see what they're really up to. And, you know, look, long term, I'm still betting on Portnoy and Penn that game. All right. Wall Street has become very optimistic. The stocks doing well now are the ones that will do better when we reopen. I think that continues. Yes, and Amazon can still get worse. It's okay. Man Money Tonight. What does the latest action in the steel stock signal for the overall market? I'm going to be talking with the CEO after earnings. Then, how has Wendy's been able to roar in the past few weeks? I'm giving my take. And Centene just predicted a strong impact from the coronavirus pandemic. I'm going to talk with the CEO after earnings. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. 
follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC. What's it mean to be by far the best house in a really difficult neighborhood? Take Nucor, easily the best steel maker in the world, but unfortunately steel is highly cyclical, meaning it's hostage to the broader economy, and at the moment the economy, well, we know it's in bad shape. However, Nucor reported this morning and the stock's holding up surprisingly well. While the company delivered better than expected sales and earnings, they just did give an updated guidance for the quarter in late March. More importantly, management gave us a glimpse of the future. They predicted a loss next quarter cut their capital expenditure guidance, and generally described a challenging environment. But it wasn't, it wasn't really pretty. But maybe it didn't need to be, as the stock actually ended up effectively flat today. I think it's probably too soon to start buying the cyclicals, but once we're closer to the end of this downturn, well, this is the one you got to buy. So let's take a closer look with, with Leon Topalian. He's the new president and CEO. To give out a better sense of where his company said, Mr. Topalian, welcome to Man Money. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate you having me tonight. All right. Well, you're our third CEO, and we loved everybody. We, you know, just Jeff Ariola was terrific. You know, I, I'm close to Dan D'Amico. You came in in the toughest of circumstances imaginable. What's it like to take over the company in the midst of the worst pandemic in 100 years? Well, Jim, let me begin with thanking our real heroes on the front lines, our doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals, our firefighters and EMTs, like my daughter, serving on the front lines to battle this terrible pandemic. Where is she? Like where is she? Team. Where is she? She works daughter? in Charlotte. In, in, Charlotte. in Charlotte. Well, yes, that, that is, I don't know if they did the flyover there. They did the flyover yeah. in New York and Philadelphia, and it was fabulous to yes, salute sir. these people like your daughter. And, and you know, Jim, it's certainly not the, uh, the, the envisioned time I envisioned for my first 100 days with this pandemic. However, at the end of the day, there are several things that uh, I would point to, and you know about Nucor and our culture. We have the greatest manufacturing team assembled anywhere in the world, and we have the financial strength and discipline to not just survive this pandemic, but thrive coming out the other side of it. I couldn't be more confident in our team and our capabilities that we've been able to build over the years to weather this storm and any others that come down the road. Now, the price of steel has come down. Uh, what does that mean in terms of taking out costs to be able to make it so Nucor can stick by your incredible dividend that you've always treasured and that our viewers love? Look, at the end of the day, the low-cost producer wins, and Nucor has been a low-cost producer in every segment of our markets that we've been serving for a very long time. That will continue. You know, and regarding the dividends, Jim, I looked at it this morning. We've been providing a dividend since I was five years old, and I'm not going to be the first CEO in Nucor's history to stop that. That will continue. Now, when you say the lowest cost producer, I used to talk to Dan D'Amico all the time, and he said, unless we have tariffs, we're not on a level playing field, and our lowest cost production won't matter. So obviously you think that the tariffs are still working. 
Absolutely. And in, as recent as two weeks ago, the president reinforced the 232 tariffs on steel and aluminum. Jim, there are millions of tons of steel being continued to being produced in China. There, when the world reopens, those tons are going to look to find their uh, home somewhere, including the United States. We need comprehensive, effective, fair trade. And 232 is part of that uh, part of that lever. Now, uh, you do say that you think the market and I'm quoting the market will bottom in the second quarter. So you have that level of conviction. Yes, we do at this point, Jim. But the other side of that is also to approach some of our capital spending in our future with a very uh, disciplined approach. We've taken a pause on some of the capital spending that we're looking at. But our construction segment, which is about 50 percent of Nucor's overall business, continues to be very resilient in, in the current environment. So we are optimistic that we'll see the bottom in Q2 and move out of that as we enter the third and fourth quarters. There's a, a, one of the orders that you have uh, when I would speak with your previous two predecessors is one that we were always worried would go to China. Military defense applications, including two aircraft carriers being built for the U.S. Navy. Isn't it true that if we did not have some sort of level playing field, we could envision a world where a U.S. Navy aircraft carrier was made with Chinese steel that may not be good enough when faced with an opponent? I couldn't agree with you more. And yes, this is a short answer. Jim, I, I, I'm so proud of our teams in, across Nucor that are supplying that steel to those two cr- aircraft carriers for military and defense. But you strike something that we need to think about as Americans. I think this pandemic has caused the American people to begin to look at the global supply over dependence on China, not just in supp- manufacturing and steel, but in pharma, in medical devices, in our PPE. We have got to become a nation that builds and makes things again, Jim. Yeah, I mean, we, we all feel, I think, when I ask uh, drug companies, yes, I asked, the, I asked Mike Roman for 3M. I said, look, will you make all the stuff that we really need here? And he made a commitment to do that. I think the problem is our country has one major steel company. It's Nucor. And I so fear that a tank will be made by Chinese uh, steel or some missile will be made by Chinese steel. Could that still happen? You know, Jim, as long as I'm at the helm and the 30,000 team members, nearly 30,000 team members that represent Nucor's family, we're going to ensure we do everything in our power to make sure that never happens. I would tell you the current administration is committed to steel and manufacturing in the United States, particularly around our military applications. And our new plate mill in Brandenburg, Kentucky, will be the largest single differentiated value proposition that will supply the military's future needs as we move forward. Um, I also wonder, how's Sedalia doing? Now that you, you've been building plants. I mean, one of the things I think people don't realize is that when they put, when they decided to make it so you couldn't flood our country with cheap, bad steel, you went to work and built plants that have made whole, whole towns into cities. Absolutely, Jim. And, and you know, you've been to many of our locations. I couldn't be prouder of the work that we're doing, and that continues to grow. We're going to build a new capacity at Gallatin. We're going to build a brand-new facility at our Brandenburg, Kentucky location. We're expanding in two micro-mills in Frostproof, Florida, as well as Sedalia, Missouri. That investment strategy is what's positioned Nucor to be the preeminent supplier of choice in North America. All right, one last question. I think because of your position, the great breadth of product that you now have touches everything. You probably have a better feel for the economy than almost anyone. Where are we really? 
Look, at the end of the day, Jim, we're, we're assessing all of that. If you watch and, and you do and watch your segment this morning, economists are varied whether the oil crisis will be three weeks, three months, or three years. And so what I would tell you is Nucor's positioned itself to not overlever, to maintain the greatest army of manufacturing professionals anywhere assembled in the world, and to maintain the financial discipline to ensure we can continue to invest for the future. So as we go forward, Jim, you will see a stronger new core come out the other side of this pandemic, and we'll do it together. Well, that's what people want. Best of breed. Leon Topalian, uh, new core president CEO. Congratulations on your job, sir. Thank you very much, and, Jim. And Appreciate thank you, you having daughter. me. Thank you to your daughter. Thank you to your daughter. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. New core. When the economy turns, it's new core. It's always new core. We have money's back after the break. Nothing better. Now that the market spent over a month rebounding from its lows, we keep hearing this action insane. The economy is a mess. Job losses are catastrophic. Even with trillions in bailout money, we could be looking at a lot of bankruptcies. Yet for the last five weeks, stocks have been flying. So is Wall Street just totally disconnected from Main Street? Have traders lost their minds? Or is there something else going on here? Every time I hear these objections, I've got to tell you, I'm a little taken aback. See, there's one very simple fact that explains everything. But for whatever reason, it is ignored every day in the papers, on the TV, the Internet, and the conversations that you can, the distant conversations that you have. So let me be crystal clear. The market crashed. It crashed last month. It crashed hard. This wasn't a meltdown or a sell-off or a correction. It was a wholesale collapse. It was the great crash of 2020. If we're rebounding now, it's only because we got hit so hard from late February through the first three weeks of March. This point keeps being lost in the shuffle. Maybe because we're in the midst of a genuine public health emergency. Really good excuse. Remember, the stock market's a forecasting machine. It's less a reflection of the present, more of an attempt to gauge how the world will look in six, six months. But Wall Street didn't see the pandemic coming. Only a few of us were taking this thing seriously in early February. When the averages surged to new highs, even as China imposed the largest quarantine in human history, or at least it was then. I am proud that I took it seriously, even though I was ridiculed. Once the virus spread to Europe and then here, the market suddenly started taking COVID-19 very seriously. We got hammered in late February, a totally reasonable move. But then as March got rolling, we went into full-blown panic mode. And when people panic, they make mistakes. They're emotional. They're wrong. Just during the last two weeks of the crash, the Dow plummeted from 25,000 to 18,000. And some of these single-day declines were unbelievable. Down 10% on March 12th. Down 13% on March 16th. Yet, now, and now you, you, you hear people wondering, well, why isn't the stock market reacting to the latest hideous economic data? Jeez, that's what happened. We crashed. We crashed. 28,000, 29,000, 18,000. That's called a crash. The thing about a crash, though, is that it's indiscriminate. People get scared. So they finally start selling everything, taking down the good with the bad. There's no rigor to a crash, just fear. It was true on Black Monday, terrible Tuesday in 1987. It was true last month. Don't get me wrong. Tons of stocks deserve to get obliterated, although some of them are even coming back now. Cruise ships on fire. Uh, the, the airline's doing well. But wait a second. Listen to me. Those the stocks have spent the last month rallying. They're, they're the ones that really didn't deserve to get hit, or at least they didn't deserve to get hit that hard. Now, let me give you a case in point that it's not like the airlines or the cruise ships. 
Let's talk about one of my absolute favorites that I've been behind for two CEOs now. Ever have one of these? I'm talking about Wendy's. Here's an incredibly well-run fast food chain with a terrific long-term record. And when the outbreak, this is absolutely one of my favorite things. Uh, my wife is with this Baconator. She's crazy about it. She didn't even care. It's like, boom. All right. Anyway, we knew the restaurants would be hurt. But there were, ooh, she won't like that. But there was never any question that Wendy's might be in danger of going out of business. The brand's too durable. It's iconic. I remember Dave. All right, come over here. Everybody panicked, okay? It's like, oh, my God. Everybody, look at this. And in the span of three weeks, Wendy saw its stock plunge from $24 to less than 7 at its lowest ebb on March 18th, 24 to 7 All told, that's a 71% decline. Crash! Did that make sense? Of course not. The pandemic's bad for Wendy's, but it's not 71% bad. So stop fretting about why stocks are up. They're up because they're rebounding from arguably the worst crash I've ever seen. Yes, worse than 87. And while it didn't hit as hard as the financial crisis, the decline happened much, much faster. So you couldn't ever do anything to protect yourself. What was going on at Wendy's? Well, OK, so one of the stocks come roaring back to the close to 20 as of today. It's not making new highs. It hasn't totally recovered, but it's erased about three quarters of the COVID crash. And with good reason, you see, just like the broader market, the crash from Wendy's came in two stages. First, in late February, with a stock around 23, the company reported an imperfect quarter with some discouraging commentary from management. Numbers weren't bad. You had strong North American same-store sales, up 4.3% year over year. But margins were softer than expected. And management's guidance came in a bit late. But you see, everyone was focused on Wendy's breakfast. Gigantic rollout. But this was right as the outbreak started blowing up. I mean, I can't imagine if I worked at Wendy's and forever working on this new breakfast and boom, right when the pandemic comes out is when you roll it out. So the stock sold off and sold off hard. Within days, Wendy's had lost 20% of its value. All right, that decline makes some sense, right? We knew COVID-19 would be bad news for the restaurant cohort, but Wendy's has a terrific drive through setup, so they're better positioned than many competitors going into this thing. I love their drive through I'm in and out in a sec. On March 2nd, they started serving breakfast, and initially the rollout went really well. In the first week of March, first week of March, get this, Wendy's saw a 15% sales spike. Well, then, then the whole country started shutting down. Stock fell off a cliff. On March 10th, this thing was just under 20 bucks. By March 18th, seven. Pure panic. Money managers didn't know how bad the pandemic would be for Wendy's, so what they decided to do was it was going to go out of business. They acted like a cruise ship. Of course, again, remember, the cruise ships are coming back. They acted like it was an airline. Airlines coming back now. Turns out this was a fabulous buying opportunity. Because a week later, Wendy's gave us a business update that provided some much-needed clarity. While the post-COVID numbers are ugly, I mean, they were a heck of a lot better than fear. For the week ending on March 22nd, Wendy's saw a 20% decline in same-store sales. Down 20% stinks. But as it low, as it slows, the stock was down 71%. And going into the update, it was down 40% from its pre-COVID highs. More importantly, management made it clear that they're not one of these restaurants that just shut down. They've got terrific delivery and drive-through capabilities so people can still eat there. In many jurisdictions, jurisdictions, Wendy's is considered an essential business, which is why only 3.5% of the locations had to be closed as of March 24th. That's pretty good. The company walked us through all the new safety precautions they've been taking to keep their workers and their customers healthy. I like it. They told us they haven't experienced any significant supply chain issues. I like that. Okay, they suspended their buyback. They fully drove down their revolving credit facility. 
They're being lenient with struggling franchisees. And, of course, management had to withdraw their 2020 outlook as well as their long-term forecast because it's impossible to predict the trajectory of a pandemic. Again, none of this stuff is ideal. But when you put it all together, Wendy's is facing a challenging environment, not the existential crisis that this price would indicate. At the time, Wall Street wasn't too thrilled with these announcements. The stock initially got dinged. However, over the past month, as we got more and more used to the new normal, stocks caught fire because we realized that Wendy's handling the situation pretty darn well. The breakfast is a really good thing. Plus, a couple of weeks ago, Longbow Research published a note saying their channel checks showed some improvements in same-store sales. They may only be down 12 to 15 percent now. I, look, I, I know. I know this is not Chipotle, but uh, that's a big step up from down 20 percent Nader. Now, put it all together. And you can understand why Wendy's has been able to roar in the past few weeks, because it should never have been at seven in the first place. Stock's currently down nearly 20 percent from its highs. That makes sense with negative comps. We know they're going to survive. We know the business will bounce back. Seems reasonable that Wendy's is trading at 24 times 2022 earnings estimates when we all hope that there might be a vaccine. Now, should you buy Wendy's here? That's a tough call. See, the bottom line is that the stock's currently trading where it should be in a world where people go out a lot less. Every restaurant right now is a little bit like Chipotle when it had those health scares, except for Chipotle itself, which is doing the best in all show. And I still think you can go to $1,000 and it's worth buying. You can't pay as much for Wendy's as much as, as you could for, say, at Chipotle, because Chipotle has unbelievable same-store sales. Still, a franchise this robust should never have gone to seven in the first place. But that's what happened in the crash. And while there are a lot of truly troubled companies out there, there are also a lot more players like Wendy's, where the crash was simply way too severe. So stop saying you can't believe the market's up so much and start remembering the great crash of 2020, where the Dow plunged 38 percent from peak to 12. And companies like Wendy's lost more than two thirds of their value in a blink of an eye. Nick and me, Nick. Hey, Dr. Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Hey, man, you got to stay on air as long as possible. My niece is, uh, she's, get, she's almost of age, but I'm hoping you're on air when she, you know, when she's old enough to understand what's going on. That's good. Okay, my, uh, my question is for a huge player in the food industry. I'm looking to start a new position in the company. They have a strong right. balance sheet and steady dividends since 2013. But with fear currently surrounding the meat industry and Trump today using the Defense Production Act to help produce meat, how will this affect the company, and is the dividend safe in the future? My stock is Tyson Foods. All right, I got to tell you, my Chapel Trust owns Tyson, which um, there are a couple stocks I, I uh, my Chapel Trust has bought. Tyson, Viacom, terrible, just terrible. Uh, I couldn't believe the stock went up on, the, on that. I, I mean, to me, if it, don't buy Tyson. But don't get in there. I, I'm caught. I'm trying to get it to move back up. It's not, it's not up enough because I want to sell now, Wendy's. Wendy's is trading finally where it should be. The crash, and I got to keep using that word, the crash of, 20, of March 2020 was too severe. All right, we got much more bad money, including my exclusive with Centene. The CEO just said no one is certain of the outcome when it comes to COVID-19, but he does talk depression. I'll find out what it means for the stock. Then listen up. Jimmy Chill is not a traitor to the cause of bad money. And I'm going to tell you why. And lawyer calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. The market bottom last month, the healthcare stocks have been leading higher. And you know what? Especially the managed care place. See, first Bernie Sanders dropped out of the Democratic primary. No more Medicare for all worries. Then we start realizing that the pandemic might actually benefit these companies because so many elective procedures. Ooh, those are not so good. 
are being postponed. Just look at Kramer Fave Centene, which specializes in government-sponsored health care plans. Here's a stock that made a brand-new 52-week high less than two weeks ago. But earlier today, the narrative got a little muddled. See, Centene just reported a confusing quarter, delivering a big revenue beat on top of a sizable earnings miss. The culprit? The company's health benefits ratio. That's the percent of premiums they spend covering claims. It was worse than anticipated. While management was able to raise their full-year revenue forecast, that's important, and maintain their earnings forecast, the quarter was seen as a negative development. Stock got hit down by more than 5%. So what happened here? Well, in part, the confusion stems from Centene's giant acquisition of WellCare last quarter. The story's messier than it was three months ago. Uh, but, Mr. Bernard, I'm just so disappointing. We got to check this whole thing out. So why don't we go back to Michael Nydorf, the straight-shooting chairman and CEO of Centene. Find out more about the quarter where the company's headed. Mr. Nydorf, you staying safe out there? We are, Jim. I hope you are, too. Safe and well. Well, that's, I think, the most important thing, particularly for someone who has a company that now was with, what, 23 million people in America? 23. One out of every 15 American we cover. Well, that's incredible. Can you tell people where you might have been, say, five years ago? Oh, I think we maybe 10, 15, 20 billion, something like that. We're about five times bigger than we were then. So we'll do 100 billion, 100 12 billion this year. So it was probably around 20 billion. So if you raise your revenue forecast, that's the number I'm focused on. There were a lot of people who were talking today about the idea that your medical loss ratio was not so good. People talked about well care. I'm thinking that this is all just part of a mosaic that's just not really finished yet. And when it comes together, it will look like, okay, let's call it UNH. Well, you know, I want to tell you that what we delivered today was exactly what we told everybody we were going to deliver on March 3rd when we talked about the combined forecast. We said that we would have a quarterly earnings adjusted somewhere in the high 80s, low 90s. We came in at 91 cents, less the 5 cents, which was the loss of interest income, which nobody could forecast. Our growth is up there. So our balance sheet's incredibly strong. We have a lot of liquidity in it. Uh, we're really well positioned for this. We're growing it. The business is growing. We're managing the medical management. We're meeting and taking care of this, the population that's really very vulnerable. And I'm just kind of proud of how the company's done. And we commented that we left the earnings as is until we get more definition. It's going to be choppy quarter to right. quarter. But you're absolutely right. In March, I remember the only thing that had changed was that the Fed took rates down dramatically, uh, which was not something anybody could foresee. Something else that no one could foresee. But you used the word. I'm proud of you that you used the word. You've been around like me. We've been around. Okay. you said, look, uh, we're at a depression level. You use the word depression. Everyone's afraid to use that word. But when you're at unemployment that could be as high as 20 percent. Thank you for using the word that is operative here. Thank you. But that's true. I mean, I, mean, I studied economics. You get to 15, 20 percent. That is depression level unemployment. So how do you get things back on track? Well, I think, you know, it will get back. I mean, I have a lot of confidence in the vitality and confidence in this country. But I think what we have to be prepared for, it's not going to be a normal return. It's going to be choppy. We could go into next year if things do start to return to normal and still have 7, 10 percent unemployment. It's going to take a while for things to come back. This is, you know, I tell people experience is the sum of experiences. 
Nobody's ever had this kind of experience with a pandemic that hit this quick with the kind of ramifications it has. Until we have a vaccine, we're, we're going to have no certainty, Jim. Right. I think that is very true. I think people keep thinking that we'll be OK. I mean, if the NFL season will start, I'll be fine. I think the stands will be empty. We need all these different things. I mean, I'm sure you're advising everyone mass physical distance. What do you think is key for for staying healthy? Oh, I think I think you need a physical distance. You need the mask. When you go back to work, you got to you got to do the temperature checking. There's a lot of things you have to do. But, you know, and what we've said is all along that, look, you're not going to be able to measure it quarter to quarter. Right. You're going to have to look over the long haul and look at where you're tracking on the year. Now, there could well be a second peak if people go back to work too soon and they get they give up some of the principles that are helping to plateau it and, and see it come down. So we're, we're in a very unusual time, Jim, and we're managing through it. We have the strength, the capabilities. We moved 66,000 people to work at home in three days. And this company is functioning today as well as it has ever functioned. We don't, we can't develop the people as well. We want to get them back home and in the off and the, back to the offices, but it's going, it's just incredible. We saw the a capability that was just fantastic. One last question. Are we opening correctly state by state, different ways? Some places, hair salons and gyms, some places uh, we would never think of doing that. I mean, is it too random? Is it uh, too dangerous? Well, I think I think, you know, there's a lot of pressure to get things back in the small businesses. Here's my question that I keep asking people. If we opened up all of New York City tomorrow morning, said, you know, it's okay, open it up. And you could go out tomorrow night for dinner. I don't want to personalize it to you, but you go out to somebody could go out to dinner tomorrow night. And then would they want to go to uh, a movie theater, a Broadway play and sit in a crowded theater? I think, you know, the it's one thing to say we want to open it up. It's something else to start to get the momentum behind it that will improve the economy. Right. That's I totally agree. I think that people. A lot of people who feel that uh, if you open it up, everybody will come out. And the fact is, is that we all know that we all know people who are sick. We all know people who've died. Well, I got to tell you, Michael, you put together an amazing company. Uh, I I totally get what you were saying because you came here and you spoke in March. You did exactly what you said. You did exactly what you said. We had a strong quarter and delivered on what we said we would do. Absolutely right. And that's why the stock's a buy. That's Michael Nydorf, chairman and CEO of Centene. Bad Money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the lightning. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, cover the lightning round. Crazy money. Start with Jim in Pennsylvania. It could be me. Jim. Hey, booyah. Custer County, Pennsylvania. Home oh, to yeah. very loyal Eagle fans. You bet. Get on the bus. Let's go. Hey, Two quarterback man. Callers, one-year viewers. Uh, during your recent call with Elizabeth Warren, I was very impressed with the, the way you, dignif- you had a dignified exchange. Very patient. My, that's so my ma. My ma told me Thank to be you. like that. It makes it tough to like these Republicans and Democrats hate each other. But my ma said you got to show respect to everybody. How can I help? Well, as retirees, please, we need income with capital preservation. With the financial sector, a large cap stock with a price earnings ratio of six, dividend yield of seven and a quarter, 
But during the 2008 financial credit crisis, the dividend was cut by 50%. Yeah. What do you think of prudential financial? I, I think that payout is too high, and it concerns me. And I haven't done enough work to be sure, but I don't think that that is... I think you're reaching for yield, and when I've reached for yield in my career, it's very rare that it's ever been right. Let's go to Nick in New York. Nick! Booyah, Jim. Booyah, partner. I uh, just wanted to see what you thought about Spirit Aerosystems, SPR. I think that uh, aerospace is on hold, uh, and this stock in bounce because right now there's this kind of cooped-up expectation of anything aerospace, but I don't want to be there. How about Natalia in New Jersey, please? Natal. Uh, hi, Jim. Uh, I have a question. Uh, what's your opinion on General Motors? General Motors? See, they just cut their dividend. That's what it, so the dividend get, yield get higher and higher. You know they cut it. I have no long case for GM other than the fact that there's animal spirits right now buying a lot of the down and outers. I think the stock could easily go 10% before people say, you know what, there's no earnings momentum here. Let's go to Grant in Virginia. Grant. Uh, hey, Jim. So I took a substantial position in uh, AAL, American Airlines, on Friday around $10. The stock is just rocketed. So what I'm wondering, what do you think I should sell now or hold? Or Take half it? off. And this is, again, the animal spirits is really flying. That usually lasts for about three days, okay? That's about all it can do. And then after that, we got to start worrying again about how the earnings are doing. Let's go um, to uh, Tegan in California. Tegan? Yeah, man. Booyah. Booyah. Hey, uh, I'm wondering about Dynatrace. Oh, man, we like Dynatrace. We like Dynatrace. Why is that stock? That stock should go higher. Um, Software intelligence platform that we really, really like. I'm going to say yes to that one. Let's go to Charles in Arizona. Charles. Captain Kramer, can you hear me? Admiral, you got my wrong right. I, I got promoted since I talked to you last. Okay, um, I know this is bad money. But for me right now, it's bad money. Can you hit the House of Pain button for me? What is it? All right. Uh, just, all right. The House of Pain. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So uh, you're, a bit of a, you're a bit of a masochist, but go ahead. Uh, my stock health catalyst is so sick right now, I don't think the doctor can cure Why aren't it. you in Viva? Why are you in Viva? Why aren't you? You know, you want that area? Just go with Viva. Go with Peter Gastner. He hasn't hurt anybody. Let that stock come down a little bit. It's like, we're not done, right? We're not done. We're going to take one more. We're going to go to Steven. I think he prefers to be called Steven, not Steve. Steven in California. Steven. Thanks for taking my call, Jim. I'm calling about Helmerich and Payne. Well, that's a house of pain. Now, listen, that is the best. It's the best, but in a bad neighborhood of drilling and oil service. But you know what? The neighborhood's so bad. Uh, if you can get a 5% bounce from that, I think that would be enough. Uh, other than that, I mean, because, you know, they're buying all the bad ones right now. I mean, ones that aren't doing well, I've got to be a little more politic. So my test, you know, 5% bounce and run. And, and let's do one more. Why don't we go to Pete in Delaware? Pete. Jim, hey, how you doing? Couldn't um, be better, thank you. I want to get your, I want to get your opinion on CAMED, C-H-E. Oh, man. That's like the hardest. so... You're giving me some really hard ones here. I mean, uh, palliative care, but it's got to, you know, no. No, the answer is is that we're not going to go to ChemEd. It's just too hard a company, but we will do homework on it because that's why it's so hard. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. 
On last night's Off the Charts, I highlighted a pretty controversial idea. Carly Garner, technician with terrific track record, predicts that oil prices are likely to rebound from these ridiculously low levels. Then I said something that unleashed an onslaught of criticism. I said, if you agree with Garner, then you might want to buy Pioneer Natural Resources, Parsley Energy, EOG Resources, Diamondback, uh, Diamondback and uh, Chevron. Immediately, the long knives came out for me on Twitter. Who was I to recommend oil stocks? Am I out of my mind? What the heck is Kramer smoking? They acted like I was some kind of an oil bear trader, when really I was just thinking like a trader, T and a D. Listen, I dislike oil. I would not like it in a box. I would not like it with a fox. I think the next generation of investors will avoid the fossil fuel stocks. They're becoming prized. For them, it's like big tobacco. I never recommend investing in oil. I went bearish in the whole industry long before the pandemic hit. Well, that wasn't certainly acknowledged. But you've got to understand, there are moments when oils make sense as a trade. And while I don't encourage trading on the show, I know many of you do it. Carly Garner's chart work suggests that the crude could go back to the 30s or even the 40s as the economy reopens. So I gave you some stocks that would be big short-term winners and they'd pop. Look, look at it this way. Oil's way down. The futures are radically untrustworthy, in part because there's this ETF, the USO. It's totally out of control. It owns the oil futures, but it's not structured to own actual oil. Some of the futures expire every month because they're idiots who run it. It's forced to sell them at any price. Oh, they I always welcome to have them come on and say, explain why they're not idiots. That's helpful. Uh, now, it's fine when there are buyers, but it's easy for hedge funds to crush this kind of instrument when demand dries up. Same exact thing happened to the USO during the financial crisis. It's just, it's just not set up right. Shouldn't have been. SEC shouldn't have blessed it. Because of this chicanery and also lack of storage space, West Texas Intermediate Crude for June now sells for $13 a barrel. But the oil futures in the out years have barely moved. That sets you up for a good stock trade. And look, we're seeing something similar in natural gas, which has been under pressure for ages because of the shale boom. There's just way too much production. It doesn't help that nat gas is often a byproduct of wells. But with the Baker Hughes rig count way down, the glut is finally being addressed. Less production should eventually translate into higher prices. If you want to play it, you can buy Capital Oil and gas for a trade. There's a reason it's already up 18% for the year. Even though Capital's a bad long-term investment, I think, you could be shorter term with trade. Again, trader, not trade tour. Personally, I don't feel comfortable trying to own the oils. I learned my lesson riding BP down from my charitable trust, figuring that the 5% yield will protect us all the way down, but the dividend offered about as much protection as a wet paper bag. And the stock's been hit so low, well, and geez, now it yields 10%, and it's not because they raised the dividend that much. The oils aren't rebounding here because they're in good shape. They're rebounding because, like the cruise ships, like the airlines, they got oversold. Every day there are good trades. They're just not the same as good investments. Right now the housing stocks are running because people expect a good spring selling season as families see, uh, flee to the suburbs to escape the pandemic. And so far the numbers are very good, especially for a giant, a D.R. Horton. Even in the medium term, I think it's foolish to own the home builders because people don't buy a lot of homes when we have double-digit unemployment, which is where we're headed. Sure, Lenar, D.R. Horton, Toll Brothers, go ahead. I like them, short term, but uh, not longer. Finally, we're getting to the tail end of the retail trade. Remember when Target put up those great digital numbers and the stock tumbled to 103 because Wall Street wasn't thrilled about the margins? That was ridiculous. Target's quarter showed you the brilliance of CEO Brian Cornell's business model. Stock's now back at 112, where it should be. I told you I really like Estee Lauder, Ralph Lauren, PVH trades. Uh, that involves the reopening of American business. Stanley Black & Decker works. But long term, it's going to be tough. Remember the mantra of the show, to teach, to educate, to explain, to put in context and entertain. I know trading. That's what I used to do for a living. But Jimmy Chill is not a traitor to the cause. Good trades can be iffy investments. 
but I'll try to be clear about which is which, if only so that I don't get raked over the coals on my usual post-show Twitter perusing. Stick with Kramer. I got work tonight. They didn't like AMD. They liked the Alphabet. I got to look into that. Like I said, there's always bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Markets in Turmoil is with Sarah Eisen, and it begins right now. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.